Hello, this is Pastor Galen from the First Nazarene Church in Chicago, and welcome to our podcast. Hey, before we hear the message today, I simply wanted to say that no matter where you're at, we're glad that you're listening today. We hope this message will inspire you, instruct you, and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And if you live in the Chicagoland area, maybe this is the first step for you joining us in person sometime. Or if you want to, you can always check out our online live services every Sunday on our website at firstnaz.cc. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Good morning and welcome into First Nazarene Church. Thank you uh, for being here today, for joining us. Uh, whether today is your very first time with us or you're new to our community or you're watching online, it's your first time, thank you for being a part of this place. Or whether you're here every single week, thank you for uh, continually coming and wondering, how can I follow Jesus? How can I know Jesus more? How can I live in relationship with his community? Thank you uh, for being here this morning. I know some of you are looking at me a little funny. I don't normally sound like this. I know you're looking at me. I'm a little bit in the basement this morning. Um, But yeah, today we'll continue our series, Your Family Matters. In this month of October, looking at our relationships that we have within our family and asking the question, how do we live in relationship with the people that we love the most, but also with the people that sometimes... Uh, can be the most frustrating or it can be difficult to live in relationship with them. Uh, today, really, our theme is going to be called Boundaries, if you're taking notes, Boundaries. Uh, before we get into the message, though, I do want to let you know of one of our gatherings coming up here. If you've been a part of the church this year, you know that I've challenged our church this year to be a people of planting. We talk about we want to usher in God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, yet we recognize our role most of the time is to plant seeds, and God's the one who brings about the fruit. And so for us, we've committed as a church this year to be a people who pray, people who invite, people who engage in ministry, and a people who invest in God's kingdom. So this year we've been doing different things in all of those categories. We're going to have our final prayer gathering in just a few weeks. I would encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to make it to our other prayer gatherings, um, I wanted to make a prayer gathering where the majority of us could participate if we could. And so here's what we're going to do as a church. In just a few weeks, we're going to have a 24-hour gathering of prayer. And some of you are like, man, that sounds awful. Like, we're going to come in the sanctuary. Galen's going to lock the doors, and no one's allowed to leave, and we're going to pray for 24 hours. Like, no, that's not what it is. Uh, But instead, what if together we as a church could be covering our families, our church, our community, and our country in prayer for 24 straight hours that would end with the kickoff of our 9 a.m. service on that weekend. And so we're going to do a 24-hour gathering of prayer, and here's how it'll work. You can sign up for it to pray for a 15-minute time slot. And so you can choose whatever time slot you want. You don't have to come here to the church. Just wherever you are, you would set your alarm, and for those 15 minutes, be praying. And you're like, Pastor Galen, I don't know if I can pray for 15 minutes. Maybe I'm new to the faith. What am I going to talk to Jesus about for that long? Uh, We will email you a prompt, so it will help you lead you through that 15-minute if you sign up for it. And also, this is what I'd say, the first time we're talking about this, for you in the first service. If I were you, I would jump in and sign up for your 15-minute time slot right now so that in like two weeks when you're like, oh, I, I, I forgot to do that. I want to do it. Oh, the only time slot left is 2 a.m.? Oh, no. So sign up right now. Pick your time slot. I kind of cheated and signed up early. I already have a 9 a.m. time slot. Uh, or, hey, if you're a young person and you're here, 
we need you at 2 a.m., okay? The rest of us are sleeping. Just volunteer for that slot, please, or I'm going to have to wake up, and you know, it's, no, it's fine. But I would encourage you, would you join us in prayer in this way? You may have done the math. We need 96 people at least uh, to sign up and to be praying with us during this time. I'd encourage you to do that. Today in Your Family Matters, talking about our boundaries, I want to say this maybe specifically to some parents. Those of you that are an older generation where you'd say, well, back in my day, we disciplined our kids, right? Amen. We taught them right. We did all the discipline. This generation today is they're so soft and they don't discipline their kids at all. What does it look like to raise our kids, not with discipline in a harsh way, but in the instruction of the Lord? And we are called to do this. From Ephesians 6, it says this, parents, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them, but rather bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Or again, another verse uh, from Proverbs. Discipline your children, and they will give you peace of mind, and they will make you glad at heart. Discipline. And discipline really is a conversation about boundaries. How do we set those boundaries? What happens when those boundaries are crossed? Today, maybe if you're a parent, there's something helpful for you, but I believe for all of us, as we look at the very nature of who God is and how he treats us, if we know him and we follow him, then we learn how we should live in relationships with others. First of all, today I would say I think boundaries are helpful. And if you're a parent, if you're going to set boundaries, my encouragement to you would to be, to be planned, to be clear, and to be consistent. To be planned. What does that mean? It means to say, hey, if you cross this line, I'm going to make a plan before you do so, how, uh, what the consequences are going to be. So you're not just flying off uh, the hook, just making some up. Oh my goodness, I can't believe you do that. You're grounded until you're 30, because that doesn't work. Or I'm going to take your phone for, you know, six months. It's like, no, you're not. You're not going to do that. So have a plan with your boundaries before you get there. Be clear for our children, for our teenagers, in a world that for them feels like it's changing and shifting. The kindest thing we can do is to be clear and consistent. That we would continually not move that line on them, but to be consistent with what those boundaries are. Um, we have a boundary in our house. Uh, many of you know my little man, Dawson. He's the youngest uh, of the three. And he's about 14 months. And this little man, he just took his first steps, like this week, last week. He's like one here, one, two there. And so he is getting mobile and active. And he's everywhere, destroying everything in our house. And one boundary that my wife has kept for us is that Dawson should not be allowed in the pantry because when he gets in there, just like macaroni noodles start flying. He's just throwing things out. So that's one of his boundaries. And, you know, in that little corner of the house, my wife, like, keeps our kitchen, like, there's, like, white, beautiful walls everywhere. Like, the majority of the time, somehow, despite me and the children, like, it's super clean. Um, but Dawson, the other day, he walks up to the pantry. And I'm cooking dinner. Justine's uh, out for a run. I'm cooking dinner. So it's me and the three kids. And Lillian's being crazy over here. Shiloh's being crazy over here, and I see Dawson crawling, and he gets over to the pantry, and the door's open, and I see him. I'm like, buddy, no, no, no. Okay, so I keep cooking. I don't pay attention. I'm doing whatever. I turn around, and um, Dawson's grabbed a can of Diet Coke, and he's going, <laughs> shaking it. I'm like, you can't have pop, child. Like, no, put it down. You're not supposed to be in there anyway. Lillian, stop doing that. It's chaotic. And I look over again, and he holds the Diet Coke up in the air. Now, here's what you need to know about my son. This boy can throw a ball. 
I don't care if he's 14 months, the kid has a cannon for an arm. And so I look at him, and I go, Dawson, hmm, maybe you've had boys too. He goes, heh, 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 That would have been fine. He throws a can, whatever. However, when this can hit the ground, something punctured in the smallest tiny little hole on the bottom of the can. He threw it, it's spinning. He shook it up before he threw it, it's fizzing. Friends, I have never seen any 10-foot diameter all the way around. This can is spinning through the kitchen, spraying the white walls, not just the walls, the ceiling, everywhere else. I'm freaking out. I'm like, ah! I start yelling. The girls start yelling. Dawson starts crying. I'm like, what is happening? Mom, come home, please. And I, well, the, the true story is I go, girls, we're going to clean this up as fast as we can. Do not tell your mother. Let's go. We cleaned it up. Obviously, she found out you can't get every brown spot off the ceiling and the walls and everywhere. We have boundaries for a reason. Dawson, don't go in there. When you do, it makes a mess everywhere. Da um, boundaries are helpful. This week, some of your kids, and you know this too, your kids may go trick-or-treating. They get home, and they have a five-gallon bucket full of candy. You, as a parent, have boundaries. You don't just let them sit there when they get home of like, sure, go ahead and eat the whole bucket right before bedtime. Do whatever you want. Whatever your rule or boundaries, you can have two pieces, five pieces, whatever will save the rest. You implement that there. Here's what's interesting. As parents, grandparents, people in relationships with others, we know that boundaries are helpful. We know that we shouldn't say yes all the time to everything we want. Hey, child, if you eat that whole thing, you're going to be sick. But as children, we kind of like, Mom, why do I have to do this? As teenagers, parents, why are you so, you have to set these curfews and these lines and these boundaries. Ah, don't force these things upon me. And then we grow into adulthood. And all of a sudden, there's not a parent around to tell us what we can and can't do. And unconsciously, I don't think it's a conscious choice, we begin to live like, if I want it, I'm going to do it. If I want to make that choice, who's going to stop me? I'm going to make that choice. I have the whole world. I can do whatever I want. And certainly today in our American culture, this is the prevailing thought. The greatest sin to American culture today is that you're not allowed to define anything for me, especially anything related to truth. I get to decide who I am. I get to decide what is true. I get to decide how I want to live, and that's the best way to live, and you dare not infringe upon my own personal freedom. It's the culture we live in. And yet, and maybe you've been there, maybe you've felt this, maybe you've experienced it. If you truly live in a way where it's, I don't care about anybody else and I get to choose what I want to do, first of all, you realize how harmful that is to those around you. And well, maybe I'm a good person. It's not that harmful to others around you. But then you look in the interior life, in your soul, and you, you feel empty. There's no real true peace or contentment. And even if you get a voice to stand for what you believe in, it still feels hollow in some sense. Scripture and the life with God describes it in two ways. So listen, there's two ways you can live. There's two paths on this journey. One of them is you get to decide what you want to do, and it feels like freedom. You want to have fun? Go have fun. You want to make that choice? Go have, do whatever you want to. It feels like freedom, but it leads to destruction. The biblical words for this is our sinful nature that we have this bent in us to choose things that are harmful to ourselves and to those around us. It looks good on the surface, but it ends up chaotic and destructive. And there's a second path as well. 
Galatians puts it this way. When we live according to this sinful nature from Galatians 5, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, well, I have this passion, I want to do this, and it's my choice. When you live according to this sinful nature, the results in your life are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, Selfish ambition, division, dissension, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone that lives this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you live for yourself, you will die apart from God. But yet there's another way. And let me tell you, it doesn't feel like freedom. Oh, because God has boundaries for us too. But why does he put boundaries in place? First of all, for our safety on one end, but also so that life might flourish. He puts boundaries in place that if we would live within them, we can actually thrive. Wouldn't it be interesting that the maker and creator of all life would know the best way to live? And yet, it takes a surrender. Because most of us want to live how we want to live. Don't tell me how to live. Yet God says, if you want to experience the godly life, live in these ways. And so he doesn't give us these commands so that, well, because God doesn't want you to have fun or experience, no. God wants to give you an abundant life. It's not only full on the outside, but full on the inside, full of joy and peace. You see, when we surrender, God, this is what I've, this is, I know what you want from me. I surrender to you to put my own personal freedoms decide to live as you would have me to live. I want to follow the Spirit in all things that I do. Galatians then continues and shows us the result of that life. But the Holy Spirit will produce this kind of fruit in our lives. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there's no law against these things. But also, when I, I, I quote this verse all the time, I love it. Sorry, go back one more. I quote this verse all the time, and I love it, but here's what's interesting about it, and I noticed it again this week. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces these things in our life. Sometimes I think, if I want to love more, then I, I need to go and love more. Or maybe if you're like me, you're kind of prone to activity. Like, if I want to live for God more, give me the checklist. Tell me what I want to do. Tell me what I need to do next. So I'm going to go love somebody. I'm going to go serve somebody. I'm going to go, and that's a part of it. But maybe for some of you today, and hear this, the greatest level of spiritual growth doesn't come from doing another thing. Maybe the next step in spiritual growth and continued spiritual growth is the continued act of surrender. To come back time and time again. God, how am I not living how you want me to live? I surrender that to you. I surrender even my own personal freedom to live as you would want me to live. And as I surrender, then I rest in relationship and the spirit lives within me and the spirit produces joy and love and peace as I stay surrendered to you. I think when we stop surrendering is when our heart hardens. I say, no, I don't want to do that. Well, God wouldn't want me to do that. I know he's reminded me of that sin in my life for years and I don't want to deal with it. I have a harder heart. But yet in surrender comes growth. And finally, that verse ends. Now to those who belong to Christ Jesus, they have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross. If you want to do something more in your relationship with God, if you're the doer, get get busy to doing the work of killing the sin in your life 
is the picture here, the mortification of sin, as John Owen called it. How are we making sure these things do not live in our life? Today, I, I thought of, how can I give you a picture of this? Maybe something that you would remember that would stick with you through the years. How do I live in this boundaries, freedom kind of life? And so I thought maybe this would be a good picture. Picture your life like a piano. I know some of you are like, Galen plays the piano? Not really, I haven't played in over a decade. <laughs> Picture your life like you've got all these options before you. How many keys are on a piano? Somebody smarter than me knows the answer to that question. You could, somebody said it, wow. You could choose to do anything you wanted to. So, you know what? I'm a grown man. Nobody can tell me how to live my life. I'll live my life how I want to. If I want to drink in excess, if I want to do these gambling addictions or other addictive behaviors that lead to bondage, but I don't call it bondage, I call it fun. Like you people in your boundaries, you don't really know how life. I want to choose what I want to choose. Want to be in that relationship? I'm going to be in that relationship. I am the captain of my ship. I am the composer. I am the decider of who leads my life. And if you do, I have all the keys and I'm going to push all of them. What does your life begin to sound like? And then we say, look at my life, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, isn't it? I get to choose whatever I want to. Yeah, what does it result in? And there's a difference. God looking at this with us. God, I have all these options before me. And God says, yes, but I don't want you to choose everything. Instead, I want you to choose only what I would want you to choose. Choose to live within these boundaries of the Christian life that I have set for you. And as we begin and enter into a relationship with Jesus and learn how he lived, he says, I want you to, to live in that way. First uh, John says, uh, if you claim to follow Jesus, you should live as he did. And so, well, if Jesus gave his life to love others, so should I. If Jesus served other people, so should I. If Jesus practiced radical generosity, so should I. If Jesus forgave his enemies, so should I. Jesus turned the other cheek when he wanted to tell him what was on his mind, but instead he turned the cheek, so will I. And on and on and on and on and on. And when you begin to only choose the things that God would choose for you, it begins to sound a little bit more of a harmonious life, a beautiful life. And there will be times where you Oh, that wasn't quite right. And when we fail, we come back to God. God, I'm sorry. We repent. We confess. God puts us back on right track with him. At different times at different parts in our life, the notes will sound different. But over the course of a life, it begins to sound beautiful. be the life that we would have chosen for ourselves. Many of you, the longer you follow Jesus and you live in surrender, he will choose things for you that you never would have chosen for yourself. But it will end up a much more beautiful life than you would have imagined. But here's what I want to tell you today too. In your family, your relationships, it's not just for you. And you begin to live this Christian life and find that there are others playing the same notes, notes that fit in with yours because we all have been given gifts to live life with one another. And the result ends up being one 
beautiful chord and harmony. We're together in unity and harmony. We realize that we're in this together. Maybe it sounds something like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. find that as you live your life with Jesus, you find unity and peace with God, but then others that would join in around you, you would live in harmony and peace with them. But there are two roads. One, you can choose whatever you want, but the result is chaos. The other is boundaries by God, living as he would want us to, but the result leads to abundant life. That's why we live in boundaries for our, our, our self and our relationships with others. So moving on from boundaries, what do we do when boundaries are crossed, when discipline is needed? Parents, for you, first of all, I would say this. Number one, stay true to your word and choose a discipline that fits the offense and carry it out in love. Stay true to your word. If you said this is the consequence, don't change the boundary marker. Stay true to your word. Make the discipline that fits the offense if they did something small, don't punish them with something large because you're angry in a moment. And first of all, I've, and I, former youth pastor, I feel like I have to say this. When you discipline your children, never take away the church community from your kid. I know that the youth group may be the funnest thing in their life, so that's the thing they're going to feel the most. Don't take youth group away from them. Don't take church away from them. This is the community of life where they find new life. And probably if they're going to find repentance and confession and a right way to live, maybe the place where they would happen. Discipline that fits and carry it out in love. I would ask us to reflect for a moment. When I carry out my discipline, when I'm saying, nope, you did that, so now you, what is our intention? What is our motives? What is our emotions in that moment? Carry it out in love. Listen. Neither one of us wanted this to happen, but there must be consequences for your actions. Anytime we're saying, yeah, and you did it, and now you're gonna get what you deserve, that's for us to pause and to step back and to look at our own life. What's going on within us at that moment? Ultimately, maybe we're asking the question, in this moment, when they've crossed the boundary, do I choose with them grace or discipline? Should I choose to say, no, it's okay, it's fine, because like God loves grace, right? We should be kind and forgive, or do we choose discipline? No, it's time that you need to learn. What's interesting when we often talk about grace or discipline, both are good, but it must be both. All grace feels like freedom, but it's hurtful in the long run. All discipline feels like correction, but it's ultimately suffocating. They must be held 
together. And I think for all of us, not just in our family relationships, for us individually, Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of this. From John chapter one, it reads this way. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, Jesus, who came from the father full of grace and truth. Think of grace or discipline, and you choose one in a moment. Jesus is this picture that we get one who is full of grace, love, and acceptance, and come to me as you are, and also full of truth. In the Christian context that sin is sin, and sin must be dealt with, and the consequences of sin is death, and he's full, not this or that in different scenarios. He's full of both all of the time. How do we see this play out? That's hard to wrap our mind around. I want us to read from John chapter 8 in this interaction. Jesus is teaching, and a crowd gathers around him, and he sits down, and he begins to teach. And as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Jesus is teaching, picture a Sunday morning church moment, the doors bust open, somebody walks in, they drag a woman and they put her on the floor here and she's probably weeping because she knows what's happening. Jesus, she is an adulterer, we caught her, everybody knows it, what are you gonna do, Jesus? And they said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, the law of Moses says to stone her, pick up rocks and throw them at her until she is dead. That's what the law requires. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying this, something that they could use against him. Jesus, knowing the scriptures, the penalty of this sin, first of all, we read in Romans that all sin, the consequences of sin is death. And this one in particular, according to their law, adultery was punishable by death. Jesus, you say you're a teacher, you say you're a religious leader among us, you pick up the first stone, you lead the way. They're trying to trap Jesus. How does he respond? Well, he actually stoops down and begins to write in the dust with his finger. But they kept on demanding an answer. Jesus, what are you going to do? So Jesus finally stands up and says, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Then when the accusers heard this, they started slipping away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. He said, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Do you realize Jesus was the one who could have thrown the first stone? Do you realize he would have been acting as the law required if he did? And yet he chooses grace. It says, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And now this response, I want you to see this. And Jesus said, neither do I, neither do I condemn you. You were caught in your sin and everyone knows because of our sin, the consequences are death and Jesus knows it. But he says, neither do I condemn you, grace. And now go and sin no more, truth. Because when we receive grace, it should change how we live. And we should change how we live according to the truth, full of grace, full of truth. For Jesus knew that he was going to the cross. And he's not hard, or he's not, excuse me, he's not soft on sin. He's not like, well, we just, 
let's just, let's just be grace and never talk about the truth. And we won't talk about sin, we just won't acknowledge it. No, Jesus was not soft on it. He knew that he was going to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus would take the sin of all the world of all time into himself. And that he would die and be raised on the third day so that God could forgive all people of all sin. The consequences of sin is still death, but Jesus chose to take the place for us instead of us experiencing it for ourselves. We come and we must accept and receive full of grace and truth, this Jesus. Grace and truth, grace and discipline, when they work together, hear me on this, grace is given, but the person receiving it feels the weight of what has been forgiven. Think about that woman that day. I could have died today, but he chose to set me free. Grace is given, but they feel the weight of it. And discipline is given, but the person receiving it knows that they are unconditionally loved and the other has their best intentions in mind. So when grace and truth live together, it leads to life transformation. So as a church, as a people, we hold the line of truth and when we need to speak a hard truth, it must be done in love and extending radical grace. We remember the great commandment and the golden rule. So what can we learn from this as we live in our relationship with our families? First of all, I would say this, I know very practically, and you've asked me, I've come to your life groups and you've asked me the question, Pastor Galen, I have this sister, I have this grandkid, I got a granddaughter, I got whoever it is, that I love them, I wanna be in their life, but I know they're not living their life as they should. And I struggle in my interactions with them. How do I be both grace and truth? Because I want to be there, I want to love them. But like, how and when do I speak the truth? And first of all, what I would tell you is this. There is no simple answer for that. And literally what I would pray for you is that the Holy Spirit would give you the wisdom and discernment to know when to use your words and when not to use your words. And then moment by moment, case by case, God would lead you in those moments. But I would also say this. If God, think about this, lives within us, and we want our family members to see the truth. They may not be going to church, they may not be reading the Bible, so maybe their opportunity to see the truth is through us. We must keep these relationships open. If we do something that severs the relationship, they're also severing the tie between them and the God that they so desperately need. So I would encourage you as with your family, keep relationships open. And as you do, maybe over time, that we could see the Jesus within you. And that over time, through our faithful prayers, even this year, pray, invite, engage with them, invest in them, that they would see Jesus. And as I thought about that, I know for some of you, that is maybe the heaviest thing on your heart when it, in regards to your family. Pastor Galen, I'm good with Jesus, I'm fine, I'm living for him, I love my group, I love my church, I love this place, but it's my family member that doesn't know Jesus. How do I live with them? And to you today, I want to go back to this verse in it, because I want you to see this from Galatians 5, going back to what we read earlier. Remember, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your life. We normally go through the list, love and joy and peace, and then we get to patience. And patience sounds like, well, yes, Jesus, I need patience when my kid does something so I don't fly off the hook, like, God, give me your patience. But when you look at that original word, it means more than just, I will wait it out or not respond in a moment. And for you living in relationships with those that are far from God and you're praying for them and you're like, God, how long? Turn their hearts back. God, how long? I've been praying to practice patience. And this word patience means more. It not only means patience, it means forbearance. Another translation says long-suffering. 
to suffer a long time with them. In other words, patience, endurance, constancy, steadfastness, and perseverance. Maybe for you today, do you need to hear that it is not by your own work, but what the Spirit produces within you in relationships with your family? God, would you fill me with the fruit of patience, endurance, constancy, steadfastness in relationship, perseverance to continue to be in relationship with him. God, fill us with that. A prayer for us, Lord, give us this kind of patient love as parents of little kids who consistently push boundaries. Give us this kind of love to parents of teenagers who are constantly testing them. God, give this kind of love and patience to those who are married so they can love one another faithfully for a lifetime. And God, give this kind of love and patience of parents of adult children whose children are not following you. God, help us to love, to show up, to be present, to endure, to practice steadfastness, constancy, and perseverance in present and faithful love. Today, I want to end the message um, by reading to you one more scripture. And I wanted to say everything else first, because now this psalm brings it full circle. For those of us that are choosing to live according to no boundaries in whatever we want to do, we find our life wasting away. For those of us who turn and confess, we find life. And then we follow the path living in the boundaries of what God would have for us. Read this with me, this is from Psalm 32. It says this, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty, integrity. When I refused to confess my sin and my body wasted away, I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in summer heat. If you read this in your Bible, go back one, it says this word interlude. This is a song, and it's a break in the song, like stop singing for a second. Do you realize what you just said? When I refused to confess, my body wasted away. My strength evaporated. Then it goes on. Finally, I confessed all my sin. I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Again, interlude, pause. When I confess, he does forgive. My guilt is gone when I stop hiding. So therefore, let all the godly pray while there is still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. Do you recognize that language? Noah on the boat, the flood coming to drown those who are sinful. While there is still time, pray. For you are my hiding place, God. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. For we are forgiven. And the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Today as we live, we say, God, I confess. If you need to confess something today, this is the moment. God, forgive me. When I fail to confess, I waste it away and I see what's happening in my life. Yet when I come out of hiding, I find forgiveness. And now that I'm forgiven, God, I surrender to you. Show me the best way to live. Would you bow your heads? Pray with me today. God, in just a moment, as we receive communion together, 
we're reminded of this picture of this Jesus who is both full of grace and truth. That even in communion, we find truth. That each and every one of us deserve death because of our sin. We've chosen life apart from you, and life apart from you is death anyway. But yet you dealt with our sin. You took our place. So now we might receive life. So now you extend a meal to us in communion and grace. Would you receive forgiveness today? For each one of us, I'd ask you to respond in your own way right now. Examine your heart. Is there something within you that you've been hiding, something that you know you've not been living within God's boundaries for your life? In this moment, would you say, God, forgive me. God, wipe my sin away. Help me to live for you. Put your spirit within me. Renew a steadfast and loyal spirit within me so that I might live for you. Scripture says that he forgives us and our guilt is gone. God, for all of us today, would we choose to live a life surrendered, following you, loving you, loving others, loving our family. Give us patience and endurance with those that are difficult to love them as you have loved us. We love you, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us for the First Naz podcast. If you're interested in what your next step in growing your relationship with God might look like, I'd encourage you to visit us at firstnaz.cc engage, or you can download our app from the app store, First Nazarene Church. And there you can let us know if you've made a decision for Jesus, or you can also find practical resources to help you grow closer to Jesus. I'd also invite you to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already to make sure that you've always got the latest content. And if you want to, feel free to share this on your social accounts. You never know who else might need to hear today's message as well. Well, thanks again for joining us. Have a great day.